You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Yeah, that was it. So I love what my wife just said. We need to coin this and phrase it, ready to run in 21. And uh, I love that because we have not been running in 2020, uh, but in 2021, it's going to change. And uh, uh, we're all believing to see great things this year. And uh, one of the things I really kind of want to, you know, typically we talk about a New Year's, uh, you know, New Year's message or whatever. And, you know, so many people really focus on the first day after New Year's uh, just to give this big message or to go after something. And then it becomes really forgettable later on, you know. And we just cannot, you know, oh, we got these, we got all these New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's rev- resolutions and all these things we want to do. And then after a little while, we get, we just kind of get distracted and we just kind of forget about them. Uh, one thing I love, uh, really, about what happened in 2020, I think there's so many things that have happened in 2020 that are going to keep us in a place where we can't forget. Uh, and that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Uh, I want to talk to you today a little bit about being future ready. Uh, next week, we are talking about some vision casting and some things between Terry and I and Scott and Lacey, and we're going to be kind of trying to cast where we're going with this church this next year. But today, I just want to talk about being future ready. And, um, you know, we all need to embrace the idea that we were created for the future. We, as a body, were created for the future. And, uh, you know, 2020... It was so easy to lose passion and vision for for the future because we were just put on lockdown. And it was like, no, you don't have the ability to dream. You don't have the ability to be passionate about what's going on because there there looked like there was nothing to be passionate about. And I just want to say that, hey, we, we have the ability to dream about the future. And God is here now. He's present. And he is the future. And, uh, you know, the enemy wants to, what he tried to do in 2020 was he tried to get us to get our eyes off of what God was really doing and distract us. And that's what he did then. And he's still doing that today. He's still trying to do that, to get our eyes off of what we see, what God is doing under pressure of what, what he was trying to do. And, you know, one of the things I think was really beautiful I don't know where you live, you know, in what general areas, but uh, New Year's Eve night at 11.45, at my house at least, it started to rain. Anybody else experience that? Did you get rain at your house? Okay. At, ele- at my house at 11.45, it started raining, and it didn't stop all the way into the new year. And I thought that was such a beautiful, prophetic picture of what God was putting his mark on for 2021. Because what I saw was he was reminding us of his promises, of his goodness, of his overflowing abundance that he was going to be bringing in in 2021. And that we needed to keep our focus on that. And uh, I just love the fact that when we keep our eyes on the promises and we keep our eyes fixed on what he said, we won't be shaken. At all. We won't be shaken. There is a verse uh, in Isaiah that I absolutely love. And it's Isaiah. Sorry, my phone's doing crazy things here. Um, it's Isaiah 43, 19. And it says, and this is in correlation with, with the rain coming down. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. What I see happening is, in this new year, I really believe the church is going to be, become an oasis. That we are going to become an oasis in the desert for people that are dry and thirsty and who are wanting more. And are wanting solutions to their problems. And uh, I think we've got to really understand the, the times that we're living in and what God is saying about this year. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I love because it's one of the greatest, it's a great promise. And it's always been one of my favorite scriptures. And uh, it's for, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and to give you what? A future. God is all about giving you hope and about giving you a future. And to prosper you, to bring wealth into your life. We are not going to participate in any recession in this church. We're not going to talk about a recession. We're not going to declare we're in a recession. We're not going to declare that we have lack. We are going to say that we have more than enough. Because as God's people, we have more than enough. He is going to take care of us. He has promised us that. On a little bit of a side note, talking about uh, bringing prosperity in, we just got up and said the, the offering uh, talk about jobs, better jobs, and checks in the mail. So probably about a month ago, we got a check in the mail uh, from our old car company, and it's been over a year since we paid our car off, and they sent us a check and said, hey, you paid too much on your car, and they sent us a check. It was amazing. And then last week, I got a check from our home, from our mortgage company, and they said, you overpaid on your escrow, so here's a check. So isn't that amazing? It's just, another, it's just another sign of God's goodness and what he's doing in all of our lives because we're believers. You know, Psalms 91.16 says, With a long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I love that verse. With a long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things, what things? These promises that he's given to us. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In, because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Yes. We can have peace even in the midst of crisis. We can have peace knowing that in him he's completed everything. And he's encouraging us to, to stand on those promises. To understand that it is, it's what he is doing and in this world right now, isn't what we're hearing. We're, he is doing so many things behind the scenes that we can't even see. And we think that the whole thing is just, uh, it's just unraveling and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. When in all reality, God is raising up a remnant. We are part of that remnant. You know, we can't, no longer can we look at the world to gauge what God is saying and doing. Because I'm going to tell you, the church for too long has been building an escapism theology around, hey, let's get out of here when things get bad. Let's go build a bunker. Let's go hunker down. And let's just wait for Jesus to come back and get us. And I don't know if you guys know, but that's not the commission that he's given us. That's not what he's given us. And we've got to understand that that's not the narrative he wants us to get in agreement with. And uh, I'm just saying that, you know, our faith must be in God. It must be on his promises, even when we can't see it. You know, faith requires action. 
Faith without works is what? Dead. That's right. And, you know, the good news is, even if we miss it, he never misses it. He never misses it. And even if you do miss it, even when I miss it, he is more than capable of taking the mistakes we've made and to turn it around and get us back on track. In 2 Timothy, it says, if we are unfaithful, how many of you have been unfaithful in some of the things that God has told you to do? Me? Amen. But if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Isn't that amazing? He can't deny who he is. Even if he tries, he can't. He can't deny who he is because he's faithful. And, um, you know, what God's called us to do is not live in a pace, place of past present. That's not our destiny. We're to look at our past and learn from our past and pull testimonies from the goodness of God in the past. But God wants us to live in a place of present future right now. Because he's here now and he's moving this way. And he is going forward in the future. And just like it said in Isaiah, that, that he is doing a new thing. And if he's doing a new thing, before it springs forth, he's going to talk to you about it. He's going to let you in on it. He's gonna, it's, it's like having, having a... Um, I can't think of it, a financial advisor, and you're putting money in the stocks and in the market, and the guy calls you and says, hey, put more money in this area because it's going to go big, and you're going to make a lot of money. That's what God is like in your life. He gives you inside information in order to prosper and to be successful. So we've, that's, the, that's the mentality. That's the mindset we've got to move into. So when we address the future bride of Christ, we've got to ask ourselves, who, what, and why? And the who is, who is the future of the church? All of us. But more importantly, the younger generations. My children, my children's children, their children, the future generations. It is so important that we understand that what we're going after and what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish is, is not just a quick fix-it thing. It's to leave an inheritance for our children and for our children's children and for the next generations. That is the goal. It's not just to, hey, let's blow this thing up so nobody else can have it and let's get out of here. We've got to be able to understand that if we don't come with a blueprint, we don't come with a better plan than we've had in the past, it's not going to turn out the way we want to see it turn out. So God is saying in this new year, you need to hit reset and you need to get a different perspective and a different vision than you've ever had before. And it's really hard to do because we're living in such a, in, in such a society that everything is about self. Everything is about immediate gratification. If we can't get it right now, then we get discouraged and we just fall apart. We don't understand what it is to, like, like in the, like, in the Old Testament, in the old days, where men of faith, it said, by faith, what happened? Abraham left his land in search for the new land that God had promised him. Even though he had not seen it. That's what faith does for you. Faith in not what you can do and what you can accomplish, but what he has said and what he has spoken over your life. The next thing is, uh, what, uh, what is the future of the church? What is the future of the church? Well, I can say this with 100% uh, assurance, the best is yet to come. A victorious bride. We are a victorious bride. Revival. And, and most importantly, we win. 
Okay? We win. We're going to win no matter if you have group, if it's group participation or if it's individual participation. It doesn't matter. But we, we get to get in on it. We get to participate. We get to partner with what God is doing. The why is he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's the why. That's why we're here. He desires for all men to know that they were created, men and women, they were created for what? For relationship. To interact. To build relationship with him. To walk with him. To talk with him. To have dialogue with him. You know, I was, I was uh, telling Brad this morning. Uh, this morning I got up and I was praying a little bit and I had my Bible. Oh, that's a good thing. I was praying a little bit before I get up to preach, right? I was praying a little bit, and I had my Bible open, and my dog kept coming in the room and hitting my hand and wanting me to pet her. And when I wouldn't pet her, she would sit there and start whining and barking at me. And uh, she's a little bit spoiled, you know, a little, yeah. And uh, it just reminded me, I mean, just for an instant, it just reminded me of God doesn't want us. I love what Bill Johnson said. Bill Johnson says, you know, if the only reason why we're studying the Word is to prepare to get up and speak or to preach, we're, we're really missing it. It's to feed ourselves. Because what we feed ourselves will feed other people. And I thought about the dog touching me and interacting with me as I'm trying to read the Word and, and pray. And it was like, there, there's an aspect that really, there was a moment there where I saw a glimpse of what God really wanted with me and him. He wanted me interacting with him, not just, not just praying and just saying rhetoric and just reading the Bible. He wanted to be there with me, interacting with me, me feeling his presence and touching him and him touching me. And I know that seems really, you know, it should be really easy, but it, sometimes how hard is that? Because we get so busy you know, doing the things we do, and we have this, you know, we want to do a little checklist of all the things we're supposed to be doing. And, uh, but I, I just, I kind of got a real glimpse of who God was this morning, just through my dog, <laughs> which was amazing. Unconditional love, that's right. And interaction, that whole relationship piece, that's why we're here, to win people to the Lord and let them understand that God really unconditionally loves them. And he wants to have a relationship with them. You know, the definition of insanity is to do something over and over again and expect different results. Amen? But yet we do that so many times. We, we do it so many times. And, you know, I, today we see churches on every corner that are dying uh, and have shut their doors because they no longer are relevant. They're just not relevant. And why? It, it's because they have not modeled the heart of the Father to the younger generation. And a lot of the younger generation, I think I saw this the other day, over 62% of millennials have left the church. That's a lot. Now, we're talking other generations too, but just the millennials. 62% of millennials have left the church. And I, I have to think the reason why they've left the church is because they feel like it's disingenuine, it's not authentic, and it's not intentional in the area of real relationships. That it's more like, hey, we're just coming in, and there's a guy up here yelling and preaching to us and telling us how wrong we are and where we're missing it, and they're not giving us any hope. And they're not really speaking the truth as well. And, you know, you can't, 
you can't really trust somebody until you have a relationship with them. Trust comes in relationship. Trust comes in an interaction relationally with somebody where you begin to get to know them, they get to know you. And, you know, we're in a battle for the future generations. We are also in a battle for our freedom to be able to speak God's truth. We are. We're just, we're in a battle for that right now. And, you know, there's a, there's a dangerous and a very destruct, destructive trend that is happening today in the church. And it's Christians today are making emotional decisions to appease culture, not truth. And that's scary. And we're seeing it. And I'm seeing it from people all around. And I love what Chris Cruz says. Anybody know who Chris Cruz is? Chris Cruz is a young adult pastor at Bethel Reading. He says, when you are not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, you are unintentionally being discipled by culture. You want me to say that again? When you are not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, you are unintentionally being discipled by culture. Guys, that's, that is so true right now. Right now in this country, the majority of the church is being discipled by the world's culture in a political agenda. And it's sad to see. It's not politically correct anymore to believe what the Bible teaches. That's scary. I mean, this is agnostic and believers alike. We're not just talking about people who don't believe in God. We're talking about believers who are believing this. And really, what it boils down to is accountability. And it boils down to, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about... Uh, you know, emotional decisions to appease the culture. Because there's a pressure being put on, on people who are standing up, who are accountable to God's word, who are accountable to the truth, and they're saying, that's too hard. You're being too hard. We, we, can't, we, we can't do that. We can't, we can't tell somebody they're in sin. We can't tell somebody that their lifestyle does not model what Jesus would do. That Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus... Jesus would do that. Jesus did do that. Jesus did it in love, but he did do it. But because of all, you know, the, people are even saying that the Bible is, is, is even compatible to hate speech. And, and we're hearing that. I mean, I'm hearing about people trying to pass laws that are going to pass to say the Bible is, is hate speech and get it banned. Listen, we have got to understand that we're in a battle. But our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And we understand that. We, we're not going to attack people because they believe this way. Uh, the, the, you know, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It is the goodness of God. I didn't come to God because somebody was shoving the gospel down my throat. I came to God because somebody loved me. And somebody said, hey, there's a better way. And I know you don't understand right now, but God... God understands and he loves you and he fully accepts you. And I know you have pain. I know you've experienced pain. But he can heal that pain. We can stand our ground. We can have accountability. We can expect to hold others to accountability and do it with love. And if, if people can't receive it, that's, that's, not your, that's something you can't take ownership of. Because you've done exactly what the Lord's asked you to do. You know, and... Um, you know, I, I think there, I'm, I'm going to go into 2 Timothy here, but I want to talk about Paul here for a second. 
So um, we tend to pay close attention to somebody when they're at the end of their life or maybe they're getting ready to pass and they're talking to people, they're sharing with people, they're sharing their heart with people. You tend to listen because you're like, okay, they've got something really important to say. They have wisdom to impart. They have a perspective that I need to hear. And 2 Timothy, the whole book of 2 Timothy, is Paul writing a letter to Timothy, his son, his disciple. And as far as we know, this is probably the last letter that Paul writes before he dies. Uh, just from a, from a place of biblically and from history, this is what I've read. And I, it may or may not be totally true, but I, that's what I've read. So it's... Um, He's in a place, he is trying to write to Timothy and and warn him and encourage him at the same time. So in 2 Timothy 4, 2 and 3, let me read this. He says, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Man, those are words for today. Whether it's favorable or not, preach the word. Have people be accountable, preach the word. Patiently correct, rebuke, I'll add to it, walk in love, and encourage your people with good, sound teaching. He says, for a time is coming, and I believe it's now, uh, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and in this situation, I, I say it's own, their own truth based on their experiences and their, and, their, and, their, um, and their hurts and their pains and their feelings, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, which is Jesus, and chase after myths. Oh, Wow. We are seeing an alarming rate of people leaving the church, leaving for mysticism, uh, you know, universalism, all those other isms. <laughs> and it's scary. It, it is really scary. We see people taking the word and they're rewriting scripture to fit their narrative, to fit their experience. And, and here's Paul telling Timothy be careful of this. Make sure that you, you follow the word, you follow the truth, because as you do that, you're going to ensure the salvation of others. And I think as a church, we have to understand that the future of the church depends on us listening to the Holy Spirit and following his truth and speaking the truth and doing it in love and honor and in a place where we mirror who he is in our lives. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit, this is Jesus talking, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, I think what's interesting here is when we talk about the spirit of truth comes, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. When I leave, I will send a helper. I will send him to you. And the spirit is not speaking what the world is saying. He's not repeating what he's hearing from the world. He is repeating what he's hearing from the Father and from his Son. That's the brilliant part of what God has done for us in our salvation by us receiving the Holy Spirit. Actually, we have it better than the disciples had it. 
You know, so many people say, oh, it'd have been so great if I was there with Jesus and I was able to hang out with Jesus and it'd have been so much better. I don't know. Would it have been so much? Because after three years, Jesus was gone. And then they had to spend the rest of the eternity of their life being without Jesus until the Holy Spirit came. But us, we have the ability right off the bat to walk in a place of trust and faith without having to see what he's doing. We can hear him inward. We can see him. We can feel him. We can be guided by what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Because the Holy Spirit is telling, telling us exactly what the Father is saying. And, um, you know, I know 2020 uh, had those words spoken that it would be a year of clarity, a year of clearer vision. And you know what? They were absolutely right. 2020 gave us a focus and a clarity better than we could have ever imagined. It prepared us for coming into 2021. It renewed our vision to be able to see what's really important for the church right now at this time. It, it just sharpened our, our vision. It sharpened our vision. It cut away everything in our life that really didn't need to be there. The extra baggage that we might have picked up. The things that we might have we grabbed onto. It cut it away. It dropped it off. Totally dropped it off. And um, I, I think we have to understand that you know, we, we again, we are in a battle for the future generations. And the way we've been doing things is no longer working. The way we've been doing things is no longer working, you know. And I'm, I'm not here to down other churches or say, hey, the way their method was wrong or whatever. But I, I think in our country, we got to a place where we became such seeker-friendly churches that we just wanted everybody to be served, which is a great thing. We, we are about serving one another. But to the point where nobody takes responsibility for anything. You come and we'll do everything for you. We'll preach to you. We'll teach for you. We'll, we'll try to experience things for you. We'll get, you know, and, and there was no accountability and no responsibility. And I think that's why we, we are where we are today. So the way we've done things in the past has to change. We have to hit a reset button and recalibrate to what heaven is saying and what heaven is doing. And, um, you know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 talks about the Great Commission. And what does Jesus tell, the, tell his disciples? Your job is to go out and to make disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you. Now, what we've got to understand is that discipleship doesn't look just like teaching. This is where we've missed it, in my opinion, my humble opinion. I believe that discipleship is so much more than just teaching. Discipleship looks like mothering and fathering people. And Paul said, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when I started this, this teaching on uh, things fathers do. But the verse was, Paul said you have many teachers but few fathers. You know, teachers tell you what to do, but fathers show you what to do. We've been absent of fathers in the church for a really, really long time. We've been taught to, talked at, and told what to do, but nobody's really walked through things with us, and we haven't had that kind of culture in a really, really long time. I, re I mean, I remember when I got saved, and I first came to the Lord, 
my spiritual parents were relational with me. It wasn't because somebody taught me about Jesus. It's because they showed me who Jesus was. And there, there, again, there is a relational component that comes with fathering and mothering. And we have to pro- approach it from a place where when God naturally puts people into our past, we have a responsibility to steward those moments. When somebody, when God puts somebody in your path, you have a responsibility to steward that moment. We haven't done that. And I'll admit, I haven't done it sometimes. A lot of times. Why? Because I've adopted the narrative that I'm too busy. Am I the only one that's telling the truth in here? I'm telling you right now, this is the problem with the church. This is the problem where we're at. We, we've gotten too busy to relationally invest in other people's lives. And, and we've got to hit the reset button. I, I remember again when my spiritual parents, when I first got saved, <laughs> and I, this is B.C., and BT, before Christ and before Terry, okay? So, <laughs> but my spiritual parents, they had a daughter, and I tried to pick her up. You pick her up. Everybody follows where I'm, where I'm, what I'm saying, right? Pick her up. And so she says, well, I can't go out with you unless you come meet my parents and have a conversation with them. And I'm like, what a drag. You know, it's like, do I really want to do this? And then I was like, yeah, she's pretty, pretty cute. Might be worth it, you know. And I was a con artist, so I was really good at talking my, talking my way through anything. So I was like, yeah, I'll just schmooze them over. And uh, so I go over to their house. I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you the honest God's truth. I go over to their house, sit down in their house. They're asking me all these questions, and for the love of God, God, I could not lie. I wanted to lie. I tried to lie, but I could not lie. And they're asking me questions. Do you drink? Do you do drugs? Do you run around? Do you do this? And I said yes to all of them. It was like I was on a, on a, on a seat with a light in my face. It really what it was, it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that was a moment that they had an opportunity to say, you're a punk, get out of my house, and don't ever talk to my daughter again. (laughs) And uh, I'm so glad they didn't. (laughs) They ended up uh, loving me and ministering to me and having me move in with them. And it changed my life forever. Matter of fact, just New Year's Day, I sent my spiritual mom a text. And I said, hey, I want to tell you how much you mean to me. And that my life has never been the same since you said yes to me. (laughs) And she sent me back a message. She goes, you don't know how much I needed to hear this today. Because I'm going to tell you something, guys. Um, You might think that you're ineffective. And you might think that you're not important and you're not valuable. I don't care what age you are in this room. You have value in the kingdom. And you are important. And God needs you. He needs you more than you ever can even imagine that he needs you. Because with you, we here are his hands, his feet, his voice. We are the ones that deliver 
heaven's love letters to his kids. And so I'm just thankful for spiritual parents. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, Jesus was probably the one who just modeled this more than anybody. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher. Jesus was a father. For three years, he modeled what relationship looked like with his disciples. He walked with them. He talked with them. He showed them. He ate with them. He slept with them. He instructed them. He was there for them when they, when they failed. He championed them. He encouraged them. This is the model that we're to follow. And, um, you know, I will say this. We can't just pick anybody and say, hey, because I've seen this abuse so bad over the years. We just can't pick anybody and say, hey, I, I want to be your spiritual father or your spiritual mother. It really doesn't work that way. Uh, if you do do it that way, it typically, it's humanly manufactured and, it, and, it, and it's not a divine appointment. And then it, and it creates a lot of grief and hurt down the road when it doesn't work out. Because I've seen it and I've experienced, I've even experienced it for myself a couple times earlier in my life. And I learned really quick that it wasn't a, it wasn't a God moment for me. It wasn't a God thing for me. So really what we want, we, what we want to do is we don't want to just go, oh, well, I'm going to be a, I'm going to, hey, you want me to be your spiritual dad? You want me to be your spiritual mom? It has to become, it has to come from a natural place, from, from a, a God-ordained moment, a God-ordained moment. You know, in true mothers and fathers, um, well, I'll say this. For, for too long, we've had leaders who have presented themselves as fathers, fathers and mothers, but in actuality, they're just big brothers. And that's the sad thing. And, and when we have people that act like big brothers, we, we can look through the word what big brothers look like. And they were always in competition. And uh, true mothers and fathers want their children to surpass them. They, they want them to surpass them. They are not provoked to jealousy or competition easily because of the success of their children. Period. Uh, it's, a, it's a place of celebration for them. They get to celebrate their kids. Whether it's their natural kids or their spiritual kids. And, um, you know, real fathers and mothers don't put limits on their children's development either. And I think we've all experienced that in the world of, of church world, uh, putting, being, having limits put on us. But real fathers and mothers really want to empower their kids. We want, being in this stream, we talk about a culture of empowerment. Our responsibility as moms and dads and leaders is to create an environment where we can empower people into their dreams and into their destinies. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, remember teachers tell you what to do, but fathers show you what to do. You know, and, and if we're going to flourish and we're going to thrive as the church of Jesus Christ, we must be about fathering and mothering the next generation. And here at this church, I really strive and I really have a, a deep desire and want to emphasize the importance of being very intentional in this next year and going after authentic discipleship with those around us. Authentic discipleship around us and with the people that are coming into this place. You know, and many of you, I mean many of you have asked me, hey, how can we add value to this environment? You know how you can add value to this environment is be here, look and pray, be active in this church, 
Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to those who come across your path. Be an example of honor and love and, and encouragement. And, um, you know, there's so many other ways. I mean, not just coming in here. You know, we're, everybody's always in such a hurry. You know, like, I, I want to get in, I want to get out. But we, we miss it when we get to that place. When we're not being intentional and we're not going, okay, when you walk through the doors here, and you say, okay, God, I, I would love for you to point out somebody to me today to interact with, to engage with, to, to give a prophetic word, to encourage somebody. Is there somebody you want me to take to lunch? Is there somebody you want me to uh, put an arm around and tell them they're amazing, they're awesome? I mean, just start asking the Holy Spirit when you come in here, who can I bless today? Who can I engage with? Who can I show God's love to? It's not hard. It just takes time. It just takes time. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, this year, if we will slow down, slow down, and start engaging and being intentional with every person we come across, the gems and the diamonds and the jewels that you're going to find in people's lives is going to be absolutely amazing. More amazing, the, I mean, you're going to build relationships that you had no idea could ever possibly happen just because you slowed down. And you said, God, what is your agenda today? Instead of, my agenda is time management. <laughs> to move into that place. You know, we, we have a couple of ways. We're, we're growing. We're a small church. But we have a couple of ways where you can get involved. Get invi involved in revive groups, which are small groups. Uh, engage in revive groups. Get to know one another. Do life together. Uh, if, if you're not in a revive group or you're, you know, you're saying, hey, this is another great way to disciple people is through revive groups. Is coming in, and it's based on relationship. It's based on interacting with another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, prophesying over one another. Uh, in your area, say, hey, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll bite it off. I know it's going to take some uh, commitment on my part, but I'll start a revive group. If you want to start a revive group, come talk to me. It'd be a great way for you to start engaging with people. I mean, a great way. Uh, another thing is just... Um, uh, you know, you could start a special interest group. We don't have any special interest groups yet, but a special interest group could be, I'll just say this for everybody knows, uh, I could start a hunting special interest group. <laughs> and uh, just start hanging out with guys and going into the woods, hanging out, going hunting, things like that. I already got a couple guys that are on my calendar right now. We haven't got the dates down, but we're supposed to be going. Um, uh, Jimmy Burgess, you're one of those guys. And uh, we love Jimmy. Curry Maurer over here. Curry's ready to get him a deer. Go Rambo, baby. Let's do it. Um, you know, let's just say this, and I'm, I'm fixing to close. Let's blow the lid off the lies that you're ineffective, okay, or you're too old or too busy to invest into the lives of other people. And uh, it's time to refire, not retire. So anybody in here who thinks they're retired, I got news for you. God is, is recommissioning you into his army, into his, into his family to absolutely start pouring into other people around. Because what you carry, the experiences that you carry, the history that you carry with God is so absolutely irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. God needs you. And all you have to do is say yes to him. And it's going to change the way we do things. And we're going to start seeing the younger generation 
getting excited again about the things of God, about the Word of God, about supernaturally stepping into their destinies and going after the things that He has written on their lives and spoken since the beginning of the foundations of the earth. So I just want to encourage you guys, just go after it this year. Be intentional. I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying it. I, I'll, I'll say it every time I get up here. Be intentional. Connect with people. Connect with people. Be fathers and mothers and disciple people. So. Yeah. All right.